Welcome to Fresh Cut Grass, light conversation with turf grass professionals from across the turf industry, with your hosts, Jeff Fowler and Tanner DelVal. Hello and welcome to this episode of Fresh Cut Grass. I'm Jeff Fowler, one of your hosts for today, and with me, as always, Tanner Delval. How you doing, Tanner? Jeff? It's Tanner. It's always great to have you and see you and um, have you be a part of the show. Our really special guest this morning on our program is Matt Brown. Matt is from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, for those of you on the eastern side of this state, because we seem to have this eastern-western battle. The Pirates are our baseball team, in case you were wondering. They don't play hockey, um, but we, we, um, they're our baseball team here in the western part of the state. Matt, um, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, we're, Tanner and I are both a little jealous of you because Matt just got back from, from Florida, being down there for spring training um, or getting ready for spring training. And um, we're sitting here in bitter cold temperatures and um, – not that Matt has a tan or anything yet, but you know he he saw warm weather. So anyway, Matt, it's a pleasure to have you with us um, and and have us on the have you on the show with us. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So Matt, one of the um, you know here we are, twenty twenty one, headed into Major League Baseball season. Um, football season's over. Um, you know now we're gearing up um, for for the balance of what's left of a sports season here in the year. Um, we've been telling our listeners that, you know, spring sports, we really should have gotten ready for them back in October, November before winter started. Right. Um, because when snow melts, our players are going to want on the, on the fields. Um, our coaches are going to want to be on. So um, we told them to get ready last fall um, and now we should be concentrating on spring, but you're in a little bit different situation being at, at, you know, two or three levels above where most of our listeners are in the, in the professional ranks. So what kind of things are, do you have going on right now? Um, getting ready, getting PNC park ready for the Pittsburgh pirates and opening day. Yeah. So, uh, right now, like you said, I just got back from Florida. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm adjusting to these, uh, these uh, sub-freezing temperatures, but uh, we're we're in we're in a pretty good spot here at PNC. Um, I will say this is the this is definitely the harshest winter that we've had um, in my six years in Pittsburgh. So um, a little behind where we normally are, but um, we we don't open until April eighth, so we still have about a month and a half to uh, to get things where they need to be. Um, kind of the things. I mean, obviously the toughest part about um, prepping in the spring here in the, in the Northeast Midwest is, um, just dealing with the, um, trying to get the clay ready with the, uh, with, with limited sun, sunlight, limited, um, limited drying and stuff like that. So we, we do things in the fall, like you were talking about to try to help combat that. Um, a lot of our clay areas, we use hitting mats or, uh, just pieces of like foam insulation over the actual, landing areas and, and batters boxes and stuff like that to help kind of um, minimize that clay heave 
that we like to call it with it with the with the freeze thaw cycles um i know a lot of a lot of guys at the professional levels use use infield skin tarps and everything to try to minimize the amount of moisture um we don't really do that here in pittsburgh um i'm kind of believer that it's uh, it because if, if you do get moisture underneath the tarp, then it kind of just creates a quagmire underneath it. So we kind of just let it go. Um, our infield is designed to take water, um, and we've never really had any issues um, in the spring trying to get things to, to really firm up. So um, we do have that clay heave on the infield skin. So typically when, when the infield's dry enough, we do have to go out and give it kind of a heavy compaction before we come in and start, and start tilling and laser grading and doing all those type of things. Um, but yeah, from a, from a clay aspect, I would say um, biggest piece of advice I can give is trying to, trying to insulate your clay as much as possible because that'll minimize the amount of work that you have to do in the spring um, to try to combat that clay heave and, and whatnot. So um, from, a, from a grasp aspect, um, so the stadium was built in 2000. Um, we do have the original sub air unit here, which, which has a, a vacuum and a pressure setting. We don't have any type of subsurface heating um, underneath PNC Park. That, that is something we would like to change here with our next major scale renovation. Um, but we're kind of, we kind of have to do it the old fashioned way. Um, we don't typically have to plow. Um, we just kind of let mother nature take its course. Um, we do do a few things to kind of help it along. Um, one strategy that I, that we've used and I've seen a few other um, MOT, MLB teams employ is actually top dressing um, green or black sand on top of the snow. Um, and I've I actually have a few pictures of this, just the, the, the effect that it can have. I mean, you could push, you can melt three to four inches of snow um, just with, with throwing type of any type of uh, um, darker material on top of the snow. And it, it definitely really helps it out. So we, we typically have some issues with snow melting in, in right field and down our first baseline because that's kind of our shade areas. Um, we're pretty much uncovered now, just even, just with these last two days being in the 40s. Um, we've seen a lot of snow melting over the past few days. So that's kind of a strategy that we've employed to actually physically melt the snow. Um, as far as spring, spring greener goes, uh, we typically go out with like a light application of green dye and then a green sand application to kind of keep the to kind of help those canopy temperatures along um because everybody as everybody knows even four or five degrees in in soil temperatures can make a huge difference when it comes to actually kick-starting your turf in the spring um, so we typically go out with our with our paint and sand applications and then we put our growth blankets on um, usually for like 10 to 14 days, um, just to get, just to help kind of, kind of get that surge of growth and get us going in the spring. Now those blankets, do that, do they cover the entire field? Like every piece of grass on the field? So they, yeah, we, we, we have them custom fitted to where they actually cover all of our, all of our, um, grass areas. Um, they don't cover the skinned areas, obviously, um, cause you want to kind of, kind of let that, those areas dry out. Um, so I, I want to say we have 13 blankets total. Um, obviously, a baseball field is a lot more difficult to cover than, say, a soccer or football field where you can just order your basic rectangles. Um, here you have a lot more angles and kind of kind of funky regulations where we kind of have to we have to get creative when we're ordering them. Um, but yeah, we 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 cover the entire the entire uh, turf area on the field and then also our bullpens as well. Yeah, so Matt, you talked about one of the things um, 
when you were going through talking about infield tarps or skin tarps um, in the major leagues, and they are really popular. But for years, um, I've been preaching to our local high schools and and um, you know little league associations and youth baseball associations. Um, you know, don't put a tarp on that field in the winter um, because exactly what you said, it traps that moisture under, if there is any moisture underneath the tarp, it traps it in and it, it really makes it difficult to get it dried out in the spring. So I was glad to hear you um, kind of reinforce what I've been preaching for years. Um, but um, it's interesting that you don't use them um, here in Pittsburgh in the, in the Northeast um, and Matt did spend some time with the, the New York Mets up in New York City um, before he came to us in Pittsburgh. Um, so um, he's um, an Ohio State grad, so he's he spent most of his life in the, the mid-Atlantic mid, mid and Northeast Corridor, so he understands what winter is. Yeah, why don't you uh, give a little background, I guess, you know, on yourself? Sure, yeah, so I... Um... I grew up in Northwest Ohio, just south of Toledo, um, and kind of got into um, field maintenance at a young age. I, it, I think I was when I was in sixth grade. I started doing our our little league and high school fields at, at our complex. I think it was six or seven fields. Um, so that's kind of where I it, I kind of got interested in in the industry. Um, went to Ohio State and got my undergrad in uh, turf science and, and business administration. So. Um, started out in golf course, um, played golf in high school and that had always interest me. Um, worked, worked for a year at Scarlet and gray in, uh, in Columbus and figured out that golf really wasn't the area that I wanted to go into. Um, then worked for a year with the Columbus crew in professional soccer and, uh, ended up in San Diego and, uh, did my internship out there. And, uh, that was kind of, that was kind of the, um, the, the moment where I, I realized that baseball is where I wanted to be. Um, and then, so came back, um, to finish my degree in Columbus, worked for the Clippers for a year and then ended up in New York city with Bill Deacon, um, and was there for four seasons and, um, and got this job here in, in Pittsburgh in 2016. So that's kind of my background in, in turf and, and kind of where I got, where I got to where I am now. Um, piece of advice I would say to, um, I guess, uh, college students or anybody that's in, interested in the turf industry is try to diversify yourself as much as possible. Um, with the amount of events and the amount of just, uh, just money generating things that we're putting on fields now, it's, it's, it's going to help you long-term if you've worked in these different types of sports. Um, cause it seems like they're trying to play football and baseball stadiums are trying to play soccer and, and all these other things. So the more experience that you have, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, great advice. Great advice to diversify and and get as many experiences as you can get. That's for sure, Matt. What uh, working with um, professional athletes? Um, it, it has to be a little bit different than working with um, amateur athletes. But t- tell us a little bit about the interaction that you have with them, um, and um, whether they appreciate what you do, whether they take it for granted. Um, you know. Th- Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, they definitely recognize what we're doing and here in Pittsburgh. It's kind of, it's, it's nice because the, the setup of all our ballpark is um, the player's garage is actually in right field. 
and the clubhouse then is on the third base side. So a lot of the players walk across the field consistently to get to the clubhouse. So I think it's, it works to our advantage because they, they, they pass us every single day when they're coming in and they, they see the type of work we're doing and they know the hours that we put in. Um, so we have, I have really good relationships with a lot of our players. I mean, I play, I play golf with a few of them and, and we also have a very good coaching staff here. That's really easy to deal with. I think that's one of the, that's one of the biggest things about my position is building those relationships with not only our front office execs, but also with our coaching staff. Um, because you have to have a good line of communication an open line of an honest line of communication um, because you're interacting with these guys so much as far as just weather situations, especially pregame and, and during batting practice and stuff like that. So having that open line of communication, understanding what type of team you have on the field and how you can somehow cater the field to, to those athletes, um, whether that be grass length, whether that be firmness of clay, and uh, just little stuff like that. But I think a lot of, I think the biggest thing that these guys are looking for is just consistency. That's the thing that's taught, that's constantly brought up is we, we want it to play the same way day in, day out. And, um, and we, we take that a step further to where we look for that consistency um, throughout the day. So we, we take pride in the, our field's going to play the exact same way at 2 p.m., that it does it at first pitch at 7 p.m. So um, we're very diligent with 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 our moisture management and stuff like that. Um, our bullpen mounds perform the exact same way as our game mound is, and and it's just it's just a lot of those little things and a lot of that attention and detail that kind of separates the professional the professional side of things. Now, how is your, you talked about your interactions, like with your crew, how, what type of, I guess, throughout the season, do you have the same crew all year? Do you get some interns, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about your, your staffing? Sure. So we have, uh, I have three full-time assistants, um, and a couple, we actually have a Penn state grad, so that'll make Jeff happy. Um, (laughs) so three full-time assistants, and then we also have two interns, um, and then we are, we have a tarp, a tarp crew. Um, basically it's a pool of 30 guys. And depending on what type of weather we have, we normally bring in 12 to 14 guys specifically for, for games. So they get here three hours before first pitch and help with um, like BP breakdown. And, and if the team's out of town, if we have large scale events or stuff like that, they help out with that. But um, for a professional, for, for a professional facility, pretty small crew. Um, overall. Um, so we, ha- we kind of have to get creative um, just with like work-life balance and stuff like that and hours. Um, Cause I think that's, that's one thing I've really put a premium on since I've got here is, is achieving that work-life balance with my guys. And I think that's definitely something that, that um, they appreciate. Um, I don't like to keep guys here longer than 11, 12 hours a day. Um, Cause you'd be amazed. I know with in our industry, I know that's, that's one of the big things that we fight is that work-life balance. And, and you would be amazed at how big of a, how big of a difference it is in, in just mental and overall physical well-being at that a, an 11, 12 hour day as, as opposed to a 14, 16 hour day. So we, we like to split up our, we like to split up our kind of our staffing schedules and everything where we have a 
kind of an 8 a.m. crew, a 10 a.m. crew, and then a noon crew. Um, and those guys leave at different times throughout the day. But that that helps us keep guys fresh. It helps us keep guys. Um, it helps it helps their their home life tremendously. And it just it just helps you. And and, and guys that are guys that are achieving that that work life balance are a lot more productive when they're here um, as opposed to if I was keeping them here 14, 16 hours a day. So talking about um, getting back to, you know, coming out of the spring here and how the turf is going to perform, what's the primary species composition and what do you maintain that at coming out of the spring? And then also a thing that I was thinking about was, do you ever have issues with snow mold and do you treat for snow mold? Yeah. So we here in Pittsburgh, we're um, Kentucky bluegrass. We get our uh, kind of a three, six, five blend from Tuckahoe. Um, we do do a light overseed of ryegrass, um, usually around two pounds per thousand um, in the spring. And then um, usually another like pound, pound and a half in the fall. Um, and I think, and, and basically the thought process behind that is just to help us out with summer patch. Um, that's our, that's our main concern here in Pittsburgh, um, disease wise. Um, so just having that, just having that extra density and everything has, has helped us out tremendously. It also obviously helps us with spring green up and, and color and response and everything like that. So, um, that's our composition. Um, you're talking about with, with, uh, snow mold. We actually had, a, we had a little bit this winter, um, and I think a lot of that was just from the amount of, um, we, we obviously saw a lot of snow in, in December and a lot of, a lot of snow that would, would come and, and then melt and then we get more. And so just those, just those cycles, it, it was like a perfect environment for snow mold this year. Um, so we've done, we did, we did a little plugging in the outfield, um, but nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, I would say that it's, when dealing with snow mold though, um, as long as you're, as long as you have healthy turf coming out in the spring, um, I mean, it'll grow out. Um, but I tell my guys all the time, give me, give me snow mold any day before summer patch. So <laughs> yeah, I would agree <laughs> uh, with that. But, uh, yeah, our, I mean, our, our, our whole fungicide and, and, and disease program is kind of geared towards summer patch because that's the main thing we're battling. So oh, do you, do you battle any type of insect pressure ever? Um, or, or even weed pressure really? Um, I would, I would say, uh, we do do preventative apps. We usually do an, an app of a celeprin and then, an, and then an apple of, of triple crown, usually a celeprin's like mid April. And then we, we come back in with like a, a triple, a triple crown app in like early June. It just really depends on the, on the, the weather and disease cycle or the, the cycles of that year. Um, as far as, as far as weeds, we, 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 our, our turf has such density that we don't really fight a whole lot of like broad leaves. Um, if we do, we kind of just pull it by hand. So we don't really spray a whole lot of herbicide. Um, the one thing we do obviously, and, and, and everybody's battling it is POA. Um, so what our, our kind of our strategy that we've taken is, um, we don't, we don't really spray a whole lot, um, we've dabbled with a few products as far as seed head control. Um, but kind of, kind of the strategy that I've taken is, um, two or three apps of tenacity in the fall. And then we come out and plug those small spots out. Cause as long as we stay on top of it, they don't get big enough to, um, that we can't actually cut them out with a plug. Um, so that's kind of the strategy that we've taken. Um, you're never really gonna, 
and we we've we've seen this just through trial and error and and in, in uh, New York, when I was there, you're never really going to kill off that plant. It just kind of gets just kind of bleach it out. Um, so you do have to get rid of it at some point. So yeah, we do. We we're, we're very diligent about keep uh, keeping on top of plugging out our pole and doing everything along those lines. Yeah. And that's what's nice is you can spray it with tenacity and then it'll show itself and then you can go out there and find it and pull it out. Even if exactly. it's, it's, it's really like a marker so you can at least find it because sometimes exactly. depending on the sun angle and, you know, fertilization, you may not be able to see it at certain times of the year or it doesn't stick out as prevalently. Exactly. Yep. So Matt being, um, um, headed into the, the season here, um, everybody, assumes that when when the team leaves town you guys get a little bit of a break and you get to not work and get your days off um which we all know is not the case but a lot of people think that hey team's not playing crew gets off why don't you talk to us a little bit about um throughout the year what you do when the team's on the road yeah, I, I wish that was the case. And uh, <laughs> that was that was one of the that was one of the nice things about about 20, one of the few nice things about 2020 was that um, with with the pand- pandemic and everything, we couldn't host outside events. Um, so when the team left town, they were out. Um, now, we did see the other side of the coin where because the minor leaguers didn't have a season, we were they were constantly having guys working out here. So it was kind of a pick your poison at that point. But, um, so typically, um, in an, in a normal year, we have anywhere from 80 to 90 outside events on top of our 81 home game schedule. Um, those range anywhere from, um, smaller events like corporate BPs, photo, uh, fan fest days and stuff like that. Um, we do fantasy camp here. We do high school baseball games. We do college games. Um, we had the city, um, the little league championships here. Um, so it's, it's yoga days. I mean, basically anything you can think of, we, we, we do here, um, to the, to the larger scale stuff, as far as like concerts and we're, we're discussing a few, um, a few very large scale events over, uh, next fall and actually next winter as well. So, um, but yeah, when the team leaves town, I mean, that's, that's a lot of the stuff that we're, we're having to worry about. Um, but I, I will say when the team leaves town, that's kind of where we actually get to be groundskeepers and we get to do the cultural side of things. Um, we, we, I would say we, we pull cores minimum three to four times a year. Um, and we also do a, do a fair amount of, um, solid tining and stuff like that. Um, I think one of the things that we do, and I think it's kind of lost in, in uh, cool season turf, is that we do a lot of verticutting here, um, just to kind of remove that thatch layer. And when I was when I was talking about summer patch, um, it's just trying to minimize a lot of those stresses. Um, but we do a lot of verticutting. Um, we don't get terribly aggressive. I mean, we're not. Don't get me wrong. We're not. We're not cutting it like like they are in the south with Bermuda and, and Pasfam and stuff like that. But um, just enough to, to actually get down into the canopy and pull a lot of those, those, uh, that debris and stuff out. So, um, typically before we seed, we'll go in with a verticut and then a, then a, uh, solid time before we actually, we do our dimple seeding and everything like that. So, uh, but that's kind of the time that we, we, we really get after it. We kind of beat the field up when they're out of town to kind of get that recovery. Um, we obviously plan it out to where we, 
if we have eight to nine to 10 game, 10 game road trips, that's, that's kind of where we plan all that stuff out. So, um, and especially in the spring and fall, we, we, we beat the field up pretty good. How about top dressing? Do you top dress in conjunction with that? Yeah. So we typically, um, and that's kind of always been a debate. Um, is do, do you top dress before you seed? Do you top dress before you, you, you solitine? I mean, and we've, we've done it several ways. We've always seen pretty good success when we, when we seed and then top dress after it. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of each to each their own, um, in my, in my professional opinion. So, uh, but yeah, we do do a, 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 a fair amount of top dressing, I would say, um, aiming for anywhere from five eighths to three quarters of an inch of sand annually, um, per thousand square feet. So it just, it really just depends. Um, and a lot of that depends on, on events and stuff like that. Um, obviously when, when we have large scale concerts or we're, we're doing stuff like that, we, we tend to top dress a little more to firm up the surface. So we're not getting any type of indentations or stuff like that. So a lot of it really just depends on, on timing and, and how much time we have for recovery after a lot of this, a lot of these events. When those events come to town, um, you know, and say some cover, some flooring goes down. Is that something like, do you folks carry that stuff on hand that you use your own flooring or does the company come in and do they do that or does it vary? See, it really, it really depends on the facility. Like we, we actually don't own any of our flooring. Um, we've, we've looked at it, um, but you, it's, you got to think on, on, in the aspect of if we're only doing, let's say we're only doing two to three shows per year, whereas in say Miami, if they're doing eight to 10, because they can do it year round, um, you got to think of the costs of storing the flooring. You have to think of the cost of washing the flooring and, and all those other things and, and getting the flooring on site to your facility. Um, obviously with us being downtown, we don't have a whole lot of storage. So those type of things come into play. Um, but we, we typically just rent our flooring. So kind of a, kind of a timeline for a, a, like a typical large scale show. Um, the pedestrian or the, sorry, the drivable flooring will go down. Um, that'll be the first thing to go down. It's usually around 25,000 square feet to encompass the entire warning track. And then the stage, the, the crane and the stage will, will come out. We typically center our stage right in, right in center field. So construction starts on the stage and then usually, usually around, um, two days before the actual show takes place is when the actual the pedestrian flooring goes down. Um, so we, I, I mean, ideal setup for us doesn't touch the infield grass at all. Um, to usually the front house mixer goes on right behind second base. Um, but typically that's, that's typical timeline for a, for a large scale show. Um, so it's all about, um, just doing whatever you can to protect the turf, obviously with, with the outriggers and everything we're, we're using Inca mat and plywood and, and stuff like that to, to kind of protect those areas. And we we've, we've had pretty good luck in the past with, with, with not really having to, to resod any area. So. That's good. And, do you do? And it's do, a lot of that stuff is just live and learn. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And throughout the season, um, just real quick, any, do you use like Primo or any growth regulators throughout the season? Yeah. So we, um, we, we typically use Primo. Our rates are dependent on year. Usually we start in the spring at like a, um, like a 10 ounce rate, um, uh, for the entire field. So yeah, it's like, it's like a one ounce rate for per thousand. Um, 
we'll, we'll get up to anywhere between 15 to 17 and a half ounces for, I mean, we have around hundred thousand square feet. So it makes the math easy. Um, but yeah, we're, we're using those growth regulators and we, we, we actually base ours off growing degree days as opposed to like the label that just tells you to spray it every 14 or, or at, at two week intervals. Um, we've gotten pretty good at, at keeping track of our, our clipping volume and everything like that to, to actually help us determine when we're supposed to be actually spraying this Primo as opposed to just saying, all right, we're going to go out every two weeks and doing this. And, and I would say that was, that's probably the biggest, um, or one of the toughest things about um, the amount of events that we're doing here is that it really hinders your, your spray schedule. Um, and then on top of the weather. So that's, that's one of the really tough things about having to manage around all these events and, and doing stuff like that is just trying to keep your applications on, uh, on, on a consistent schedule when you need to actually get it, get stuff out. Most of your fertility granular or liquid or a combination of both. Uh, it's a combination. Um, I would say, I think last year we, we ended up a, a little under six pounds of N, um, for the year per thousand. Um, we go, we, we try to go as minimal as possible. Um, I think a lot of it is just based on, like I said, a lot of it is just based on weather and, and what we're, what we're seeing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of a, a combination and, and being sand based is it allows us to put out a little more in, I'm not encouraging anybody with a native base field to go out and throw six pounds of nitrogen. Uh, so don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, being sand based and being, and, and how well we actually move water and, and, and we're mowing every single day when the team's in town. So we're cutting, we're cutting a lot off. So at, at the end of the year, it's, it's not near that, that six pound, uh, six pound number, but, um, yeah, it's, um, a lot of it is timing. Um, a lot of, we, we use a lot of triple seven, um, as far as our actual end source. So, um, we really, we really try to back everything off, um, in June through August, as far as fertility goes. So we get pretty aggressive in the spring and then fall, uh, leading into winter. Um, so, but like I said, it all, it's all very weather dependent. Well, Matt, it's been uh, it's been great having you on on the show with us today. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, um, whether it's in a podcast or whether it's on phone on the phone or in person at the stadium. So we appreciate you joining us, Tanner. Do you have anything? Any final words for our listeners this morning? Um, I, I do not. Matt, um, you have anything anything final that you want to say to? to the listeners of fresh cut grass here this morning? Um, I think just, just going back to, um, cause a lot, obviously with, with, with baseball or our bread and butter is, is actually the dirt and skin work. Um, I think it's, I think at some points we can almost be our own worst enemy. Um, if you have the right composition on your infield skins, if you know your, your sand soap clay ratios and you have those dialed in, I'll, um, I think, like I said, I think a lot of us are, can be our own worst enemy. Um, a lot of this and a lot of it is less is more, in my opinion. Um, sometimes we can honestly do more damage to our infield skins if we're going out and try to push water with brooms or, or, cause we're going to create low areas and stuff like that. So that's, that's, that's one of the things I always tell people when I'm giving talks on, on dirt and skin maintenance is that sometimes it's better to just let it go and let mother nature take its course and let her, let it dry out. Um, Cause you'll be a lot more productive in that, in that realm. So. 
Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Sometimes the best thing we can do is go home. Exactly. <laughs> and, just, and just let it dry, cancel a game, postpone a game, and, and let it happen next week when the weather cooperates more with us. Um, so, Matt, it's been great having you on the show this morning. I want to remind our listeners, um, this is Fresh Cut Grass. Um, if there are topics that you'd like for us to, co- to cover um, on, on an, uh, a future episode, um, you can reach us at freshcutgrass at psu.edu. Um, shoot us an email. Um, if you have questions or, uh, like I say, upcoming topics that you'd like for us to, to um, talk about, um, throw us an email there, and we'll be be glad to to look at it as potential um, as an episode. So, again, um, Matt Matt Brown, Pittsburgh Pirates. Thanks for being with us. Um, I'm going to say this to you: um, Good luck this year, and um, I hope that you unroll the tarp as many times this year as you did when you were doing your internship in San Diego. Um, I know that awesome. it's. I know in San Diego, they unroll the tarp at least one time a year just to make sure they know how to do it. Um, It doesn't rain a whole lot out there. So, um, Matt, good luck to you. I hope that thing stays on the on the tube tucked against the side and you don't have to pull it out a whole lot this year. So um, thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you very much. So um, that'll wrap us up again, fresh cut grass at psu.edu. And we'll look forward to having you on our next episode. Thank you.